Welcome to Ancient Words, Modern Message. I'm your host, Roger Womble. The past is a mirror, and the more we examine what came before us, the more we can understand where we are heading. The Bible is full of accounts of dramatic events involving the people of God, events in which God has displayed his unique character and power. One of these events took place during the reign of the 13th king of the southern kingdom of Israel, King Hezekiah, when it appeared that defeat and destruction at the hands of the mighty Assyrian army was inevitable, in response to the prayers of Hezekiah and Isaiah the prophet, God moved in a spectacular way. We will learn about this dramatic event in this sixth and final episode in the series, Not Perfect, But Good. Studies in the Life and Reign of King Hezekiah, along with the reminder that Hezekiah's God is our God, and that he specializes in doing that which only he can accomplish, for his honor and glory. He did it then, and he can do it now. So let's get right into our study in an episode we have entitled, Against All Odds. And we come this evening to the sixth and final study in this series of studies of the life and reign of King Hezekiah. And I believe you will agree with me when I say that the subject of this last study, the sixth of sixth, the subject of this last study is without question the most dramatic episode in the life and reign of King Hezekiah. And we'll see that as we move through the account and through the text. But I would remind you that at the, at the point in time when the events that we're going to be considering this evening took place, at that point in time, it was around 702 BC. Now we know that because uh, the parallel texts in Second uh, Kings and in uh, the book of Isaiah, tell us that these events that we're considering this evening took place in the 14th year of the reign of King Hezekiah. He began his reign in 716, and so 14 years later, this is 702 BC. In 702 BC, the dominant political, geopolitical, and military power at that period of time was the Assyrian Empire. Just up to this point, around 702 BC, the, the head of the Assyrian Empire was a man named Sargon. Sargon. But when Sargon died, uh, his son uh, actually took over the leadership of the empire of Assyria. His name is Sennacherib. And when Sennacherib began his reign over the Assyrian empire, uh, he was a very ambitious king, 
and he launched an ambitious campaign to gain control, absolute control of the ancient Near East. And that would, of course, include control of the southern kingdom of Israel, over which Hezekiah reigned. Now, you, you might remember that Sennacherib's father, Sargon, uh, some years earlier than this, so we're talking about 20 years or so earlier than this, invaded the northern kingdom of Israel and successfully defeated the resistance of the northern kingdom of Israel, destroyed the city of Samaria, and so the northern kingdom of Israel fell at the hands of Assyrians. And now it is 20 years later, and it is Sargon's son Sennacherib who determines that he's going to gain control of the whole region, and that includes the southern kingdom of Israel. Now his, his methodology was he demanded that tribute be paid to him by the various states that were in that area, not just the southern kingdom, but other states as well, that they either pay tribute to him and acknowledge that they were his vassals, that is his servants, or if they did not do that, he would lay siege against them and destroy their, their country, really, but their capital city as well. And so that brings us to this point where now Sennacherib is threatening the southern kingdom of Israel under King Hezekiah. And of course, uh, this creates a very uh, problematic situation for King Hezekiah. And remember, in our previous study, uh, we, we came to the point where Hezekiah is aware of the impending invasion by Sennacherib. And of course, when he learns of that impending invasion, he makes some preparations. You don't have this passage in front of you, but let me read it for you. It was two weeks ago that we considered this. Second Chronicles chapter 32, verse 2. And when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib was come and that he was purposed to fight against Jerusalem, and then what follows is a description of the steps that, that Hezekiah took to prepare for defense against the invasion. Uh, and you'll remember, he fortified various areas of the city, the walled city around Jerusalem. Uh, he also uh, decided that he would reroute the water, uh, so the water would actually come inside the walled city rather than outside the city. But the most important thing that Hezekiah did was he prepared his military leaders and his people spiritually. And we read about that because in 2 Kings, uh, 2 Chronicles, excuse me, 32, verse 6, this is what we read. And he, Hezekiah, set captains of war over the people, and he gathered them together to him in the street of the gate of the city and spoke encouragingly to them, saying, and here is what he said to his military leaders and to the people. He said, be strong and courageous. Be not afraid nor dismayed for the king of Assyria, nor for all the multitude who are with him, for there are more with us than with him. With him, that is with Sennacherib, is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people rested themselves upon the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. So that was the most important way of preparing them. But now the invasion is about to take place. 
as we read in the text and also from extra-biblical accounts outside of the Bible, we learn that Sennacherib was actually involved in a military action in a nearby city called Lachish. Lachish. But what he does in preparation of himself invading with his army the city of Jerusalem and attacking and laying siege to the city of Jerusalem, he sends representatives to Jerusalem and to King Hezekiah. And what we see, as described in the text that you have before you, is what I call a propaganda blitz. Does that sound familiar? A propaganda blitz. And so in anticipation of the invasion, the representatives of Sennacherib lay out propaganda before Hezekiah and the people of the southern kingdom of Israel. And I would suggest to you that it was a two-phase propaganda blitz. And you've got phase one recorded in verses 9 through 16 of 2 Chronicles 32. Follow along as I read that. And keep in mind, it's propaganda. After this, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, who was besieging Lachish with all his forces, sent his servants to Jerusalem, to Hezekiah, king of Judah, and to all the people of Judah who were in Jerusalem, saying, so here comes the spiel. Thus says Sennacherib, king of Assyria, on what are you trusting that you endure the siege in Jerusalem? Is not Hezekiah your king? Is not Hezekiah misleading you? that he may give you over to die by famine and by thirst, when he tells you, the Lord our God will deliver us from the hand of the king of Assyria? Has not this same Hezekiah taken away his high places? Whose high places? God's high places. His God's high places. Has not this same Hezekiah taken away his high places and his altars and commanded Judah and Jerusalem? Before one altar you shall worship, and on it you shall burn your sacrifices. You know what they're talking about? They're talking about the religious revival that took place under Hezekiah. Remember, Hezekiah's wicked father Ahaz had set idols and false centers of worship all over the southern kingdom. Hezekiah, at the age of 25, ascends to the throne, and because his heart was right before God, he sets out to destroy all of those places where false gods were worshipped. And he says, there is only one place where you should come and worship, and that's the temple in Jerusalem where you can worship the holy God of Israel as he has told you to worship him. But the propagandists say, that your king has destroyed all of the religious centers of his God. Now, he's misleading you. And then verse 13. Do you not know what I and my fathers have done to all the peoples of other lands? Were the gods of the nations of those lands at all able to deliver their lands out of my hand? Who among all the gods of those nations that my fathers devoted to destruction was able to deliver his people from my hand, that your God should be able to deliver you from my hand? Now, therefore, do not let Hezekiah deceive you or mislead you in this fashion, and do not believe him. 
For no God of any nation or kingdom has been able to deliver his people from my hand or from the hand of my fathers. How much less will your God deliver you out of my hand? And his servants said still more, as if that wasn't enough. And Sennacherib's servants said still more against the Lord God and against his servant Hezekiah. That is phase one of the propaganda blitz. It can be summarized this way. The message to Hezekiah, or specifically to the people of the southern kingdom, was this. Your God, Jehovah, is a weakling, and your king is a fraud. That's what they're saying. But now here's phase two. This one is from the bullhorn. How do we know that? Well, if you would look at verse 18, before we start at 17, look at verse 18. And they, this is phase two of the propaganda blitz, they, the representatives of Sennacherib, they shouted it with a loud voice. That's the bullhorn. They shouted it with a loud voice in the language of Judah. So they actually used propaganda in Hebrew so that the people that spoke Hebrew in the southern kingdom would be able to understand everything they said. Uh, because uh, they shouted it with a loud voice in the language of Judah to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall to frighten and terrify them in order that they might take the city. Back to verse 17. He, that is Sennacherib, wrote letters to cast contempt, and he sent these letters via his representatives, and they shouted those out as they read the letter from Sennacherib to the people of the city, and this is what the letters said. They cast contempt on the Lord, the God of Israel, and to speak against him, saying, this is what the letter said, like the gods of the nations of the lands who have not delivered their people from my hands, so the God of Hezekiah will not deliver his people from my hand. Verse uh, 19, and they spoke of the God of Jerusalem as they spoke of the gods of the peoples of the earth, which are the work of men's hands. You see, I think that's the point at which God said, that's enough. You've crossed the line. Because you see, the propaganda is this. Your God is just like all of the other gods of the nations around you. He's no stronger. He's no more powerful. He's no better. He's just like all of the other gods. It is a way of saying all religions are alike. Whoever you want to worship is fine. They're all the same. And that is a blasphemy against God that God will not tolerate. Unfortunately, it reminds me of those people, and you know some of these, you've heard this, I'm sure, those people who say, well, all religions are really alike. There's good in all religions. There are many ways to get to God. You can pick whichever way you want. When God himself has said, there's only one way, and that's through Jesus. So when people say, it doesn't matter, they're all the same, they are essentially saying that our God is actually a liar, and he actually is no better than all of the other gods. So that is the propaganda. And here's the message of that phase two. Your God is just like all the other gods. Well, what happens after that is recorded in verse 20. And that is the king, that would be Hezekiah, and the prophet, that would be Isaiah, 
<clears throat> actually uh, move into action. They took it to God in prayer. We read about it in verse 20. Then Hezekiah the king and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amotz, prayed because of this and cried to heaven. And we read and we learn in a most dramatic way that God heard and answered that prayer. God's answer to their prayer on behalf of the southern kingdom and the people, God's answer was spectacular, as we will consider. And his answer was ironic, and his answer was glorifying. So first of all, look at the spectacular nature of that answer. Verse 21, in answer to their prayers, the Lord sent an angel who cut off all the mighty warriors and commanders and officers in the camp of the king of Assyria. So that's pretty dramatic. Now, that's also pretty sketchy. It simply says that an angel of the Lord basically wiped out the Assyrian army. But you see, when we come to parallel passages in 2 Kings and in Isaiah, we get a little bit more detail. And that's why I give you at the bottom of the page a verse from the parallel account in 2 Kings 19. It's 2 Kings 19.35, and that fills in the blank, where it says, And that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. That, folks, is spectacular. Overnight, 185,000 dead. There are those who try to, to deal with the number and the amazing uh, reality of that single event. And they try to explain how is it possible that 185,000 Assyrian soldiers and their military leaders would drop dead overnight? So here's one suggestion. Try this one on for size. Well, those who say we have to somehow or another find an, a natural explanation for the things that we see in the Bible. Here's their natural explanation. There was a huge herd, I'm not sure what you call it, a huge herd of field mice that just swept down on the camp of the Assyrians as they were getting ready to invade Jerusalem. And the field mice came and they ate all the wood and all the leather. But while they were there, they brought the bubonic plague carried by field mice and 185,000 soldiers contracted bubonic plague and within a few hours dropped dead. I don't know about you, but that doesn't make any more sense than what I read right here. So what we have to say is this was a miracle from the Lord. Very dramatic. So dramatic, in fact, that uh, at least one poet actually set the story uh, to poetry. Uh, a man named George Gordon. You might know him better as Lord Byron, the poet. He lived from 1788 to 1824. And Lord Byron wrote a poem entitled The Destruction of Sennacherib. 
I know you've all memorized that poem because you 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 had to when you were taking British literature in your senior year of high school, right? Well, just in case you forgot, let me recite it. I won't recite it. I'll read it to you. Here it is. The Assyrian came down like the wolf on the fold, and his cohorts were gleaming in purple and gold. And the sheen of their spears was like stars on the sea when the blue wave rolls nightly on deep Galilee. Like the leaves of the forest when summer is green, that host with their banners at sunset was seen. Like the leaves of the forest when autumn hath blown, that host on the morrow lay withered and strewn. For the angel of death spread his wings on the blast and breathed in the face of the foe as he passed. And the eyes of the sleepers waxed deadly and chill, and their hearts but once heaved and forever grew still. And there lay the steed, with his nostril all wide, but through it there rolled not the breath of his pride. And the foam of his gasping lay white on the turf, and cold as the spray of the rock-beating surf. And there lay the rider, distorted and pale, with the dew on his brow and the rust on his mail. And the tents were all silent, the banners alone, the lances unlifted, the trumpet unblown. And the widows of Asher, Assyria, the widows of Asher are loud in their wail, and the idols are broke in the temple of Baal. And the might of the Gentile, unsmote by the sword, hath melted like snow in the glance of the Lord. That's pretty dramatic. Well, it's not only dramatic, but it was ironic, because you'll read on there uh, in, um, in verse 22, I'm sorry, in verse 21, the second half of that verse, after saying the angel of the Lord cut off the mighty warriors and commanders and officers in the camp of the king of Assyria, so he, that would be Sennacherib, so he returned with shame of face to his own land. And when he came into the house of his God, some of his own sons struck him down there with the sword. That's ironic. Sennacherib sets out to attack Jerusalem. He blasphemes the God of the Jewish people. And he's unsuccessful because he loses 185,000 of his soldiers. He has to go back to Nineveh. And extra biblical accounts, as well as biblical accounts, tell us that he was assassinated by two of his three sons. And not only that, but he was assassinated in the temple while he, Sennacherib, was bowing before the idol of his God. And the extra biblical account says that the idol, which was huge, fell on top of him and and trapped him, and with that his two sons came in and ran him through with swords. That's ironic, because you see, he's insulting the God of Israel, and he says, your God is just like other gods. Their God protected them and preserved them. His God fell on him and killed him. That's ironic. Not only that, but it was glorifying, because this is what we read in verse 22 and following. So the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, king of Assyria, and from the hand of all his enemies. And he provided, God provided for them on every side. And many brought gifts to the Lord to Jerusalem. That is, God was glorified because of this spectacular event. 
Many brought gifts to the Lord to Jerusalem and precious things to Hezekiah, king of Judah, so that he, Hezekiah, was exalted in the sight of all nations from that time onward. I close by reminding you of this. The God who did that for the Jewish people in 701 or so BC, that God is our God. And he has not changed. He's the same yesterday and forever. Israel's God is our God. And I remind you that our God, Israel's God, specializes in doing that which only he can accomplish. And he does it against all odds for his honor and glory. And I think we can all say, may it be so now. And we should pray in that direction. Thanks for listening to Ancient Words, Modern Message. You can expect a new episode every other Monday, so please join us again. Ancient Words, Modern Message is supported by Hebrew Christian Fellowship. To learn more about our ministry or to ask a question, contact us at hcfellowship4819 at gmail.com. If you know someone who might be interested in this teaching, please share it with them. And please consider leaving a review of what you've heard on Apple Podcast. Your input helps us make our program even better and reach new listeners. All you have to do is open up the podcast app on your phone, look for Ancient Words, Modern Message, scroll down until you see Write a Review, and tell us what you think. Ancient Words, Modern Message is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. And I'm your host, Roger Womble reminding you that the Word of God is living and active. Until next time, showers of blessings on you and those you love.